If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 347 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, joined today by the Rob Carney of Irish MMA media, Graham MacDonald, as we talk about a massive night in the world of mixed martial arts and on Saturday night, uh, the heavyweight championship of the world was on the line in the main event, the co-main event. The flyweight championship of the world was on the line. Mikel Pereira fought. There was some other fights, some very fun fights on the night, some some not so great fights. It was a, a mixed night, I would say, but uh, an eventful one. And uh, there was a, a bit of uh, a bit of news after it as well, I suppose, with the with the way out in town. But we will uh, we will get into all of that in a second. But we must tell you before we do that, that today's episode is brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. And everyone knows that Cupid works hard in February and we're just approaching it now. But our friends at Manscaped are working even harder than ever to ensure that your Valentine's Day is one to remember. Uh, don't turn this day of romance into Independence Day this year and get in control with their performance package 4.0, which includes their signature Lawnmower 4.0. It's February, joined the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with exclusive offer. Go to manscaped.com, use the code SEVERE and MAY for 20% off and free shipping. Contrary to popular belief, love is not blind when you can't see past that jungle. I actually heard, I was, I was listening to, uh, to the old Dave Portnoy podcast the other day, and they were they were calling the is it f- the fourteenth is the fourteenth of February is, is uh, Valentine's Day, isn't it? They were calling the thirteenth of February like National Shave Your Balls Day, which which is, I think is good, but they were arguing maybe do it in the twelfth. Give yourself uh, give yourself time to uh, to heal heal. No, heal is not the right word. You won't need to heal with the Manscaped Performance Package Four Point though, because the uh, Lawnmower Four Point is the thing inside in that, and it reduces nicks massively. The scan advanced skin safe technology uh, well saved (laughs) (laughs) perfect is great for that it has the 4000 led spotlight uh to shine a light on your true love this year confucius says education breeds confidence so it's time to get educated on the ultimate grooming routine for all your areas of romance this year the weed whacker is also included in that performance package that's to clean up your nose and ear hairs. Uh, and Manscaped also in, threw in two free gifts. The Shed Travel Bag. I'll be off to Bellator in a couple of weeks, so I'll need that. And the Performance Briefs as well. Do you know, I'll probably need a couple of them as well. For, <laughs> for extra freshness, the Performance Package also includes Manscaped's Liquid Formulations, the Crop Preserver and Crop uh, Reviver Ball 
toner, which are absolutely fantastic. Bit of a, a bit of nice smelling down there. Um, the deodorant works wonders out of the shower, while the toner is kind of the go-to one if you need it. You know, a couple of hours later, or in the middle of the night, or whatever it might be. But the the, uh, the nightclubs are back open now as well for the first time in about two years. I feel great for the old college students. Fair play to them. So uh, let's uh, focus on your southern region this time of the year. The Manscaped refine uh, not only on your southern. Um, the Manscaped Cologne is also the cherry on top for the perfect date package. Pepe Le Pew approved. It offers a masculine yet light scent that will leave your lady speechless. Manscaped has has you covered this Valentine's Day. Get yourself the gift that you and your date will both appreciate. Go to manscaped.com. Use our exclusive offer to get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVERMMA. Remember, you can't buy love, but you can buy a clean pair of balls. Go 20% off, free shipping. Severe May, manscaped.com. That's 20% off of free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code Severe May. Help tame that love jungle that you have in your pants with Manscaped. <laughs> Speaking. <laughs> what, what are you laughing at there? What's so funny? <laughs> Man jungle in your pants. <laughs> Speaking of speaking of getting tamed, that uh, that was exactly what happened to Francis Singer. No, not Francis Singer. Well, I suppose no a little bit. He did get a little bit tamed, I suppose, by himself and uh, he, Eric Nixick and his trainers and stuff. But he very much tamed Cyril Gagne. Um, uh, it was... Do you know what? It's a weird one, right? Because last night uh, when I watched the fight, I were here in Sunday morning. I've had about two hours sleep, but I, I was... I was a little bit disappointed, right? And it was one. The reason I was disappointed was I didn't get the fight I was expecting, and that's really only happened to me a couple of times. The first Usman versus Covington fight was another one as well, a very good fight, but it wasn't the fight I was expecting. It wasn't the fight I was hoping for. Even the second one, a little bit, and you know that's actually more down to Covington and that one I think than than the actual winner. Usman did a, a great job and fair play to him. I think this one. It was. It wasn't the fight I was expecting, but it was, le- and it was a bit disappointing that we didn't get the fight we were expecting. I suppose for the most part, or for maybe not for the most part, but for for a long part of it. But it also showed one thing I love in MMA, and that's the ability to adjust mid-fight. Now, whether that adjustment was planned or whether that adjustment came in the middle of the fight, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter because the adjustments came, and Francis Ngannou changed that fight in the middle of it to to get it in his direction. Oh, I actually think it was it, it wasn't completely totally going in Seattle's direction at the start of the fight. I know a lot of people had him winning the, the first two rounds. I actually give Francis the first, but we'll we'll uh, we, we will uh, get over that for a second. But his ability to change things up, wrestle and all that. And we can talk about the quality of that in in a second, but it was it was really good, you know, coming in there obviously with an injury. We've talked many times, obviously, about Conor McGregor and an Irish MMA podcast here, going in there with no knees and still winning fights. And it seemed like Francis Ngannou was in a similar position last night. He adjusted and won the fight. So you know, even if it was one of those fights where okay, we didn't get what we expected fully, we we got something great and we got something very very interesting. We got something worthwhile, and we can't complain too much about that. What was your take overall on the fight, Grace? Was before we get into the minutia? Yeah, well, I thought, like as you said, it was a brilliant adjustment from Ganu, showing us stuff that we we haven't really seen at all from him before. Showing his he's more well rounded than maybe he's given credit for, and you know, uh, me and you talked about uh, talked about his fight in the podcast, and we kind of said it's going to go one or two ways, and it looked like it was. It looked like Francis kind of couldn't land his big shot and was starting to tire out. 
And uh, but you know, he, he he turns it around in terms of okay, this this isn't working, so I'm gonna I'm gonna put this guy on his back. And he capitalized on a on a kick and caught it brilliantly and slammed him down into side control. And that was the moment that the the fight changed. You know, Nganu obviously was uh, was working off. Um, I'm not sure which knee was injured, but he said afterwards that uh, it was an injury to his MCL, I think, and or tear to his MCL and damage to his uh, ACL. ACL. So yeah. obviously that that would um, play into his movement not maybe not being as fast and his, his punches maybe not being as fast and not having not being able to put as much weight behind him. So maybe going into the fight, there was a plan to kind of grab Gagne and throw him on his back uh, if the moment arose, uh, arose. But, you know, to, to plan that and to do it are very different. You know, he, he, if he hadn't caught that kick, maybe Cyril would have, you know, kind of picked him apart for that round and he, he would have... He, he would have had to try and land that big shot and tire himself out even more. So it was a it was a very fine balance going on there. And, you know, credit all credit to Francis Ngannou, like coming in with that injury. He said he, he you know, he contemplated pulling out and all that stuff. So it obviously was it was pretty bad and it was a pretty big fight for him. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of talk around it. There was a bit of like talk between the two of them about what happened to the gym and all that stuff as well. So, uh, yeah, it was a it was a brilliant night for Ngannou considering the the, the knee injury and the the difficulty of the style opponent that he went up against. And yeah, I thought he won the fight. I thought he took over from the the third round onwards. And uh, you know, there were some close rounds in there, and maybe you know you, you can argue which rounds, but I think uh, not many people are are arguing that uh, Ngannou won. And you know. Uh, He's definitely not that as one-dimensional as we as we kind of made him out to be. A, a lot of people in the media, I think, including us. Yeah, I, I, look, we I remember him listening to Brad talking on our pre-show, and he made a great point, and it turned out to be correct. And what he said was, uh, "One of them know, you know, one of them knows something. Whether that's Inganu knows he can run around and hit Gan whenever he wants, whether Gan knows he can run around and not get hit by Inganu, or whether." We have something like this where there's a, a wrestling deficiency. And look, you have to call into question uh, Fernand Lopez in that camp because Francis Ngannou went in there and his first UFC title fight looked completely out of his depth on the ground and was beaten because of it. And now Cyril Gagne has gone in there in his first title fight out of the same camp and looked completely, completely out of his depth on the ground and lost because of it as well. Against someone who hasn't the wrestling chops of a Steve Pemiocic. That's not great. And, like, the first thought, I think, for a lot of people after that fight, if you're looking at it from Seattle Gange's point of view, is he's going to need to make similar improvements as Francis made. Um, and he needs to make them, you know? And I, I think that needs... I think he needs to move. I think he needs to go to America or go somewhere and go to a bigger gym and work on that wrestling and do something like Francis Ngannou did because Francis has proved exactly that. He moved and he he did the right thing. And now look at him. He is this well-rounded fighter that we... You know, we talked about it last week that will Francis go back to what he used to be where he was, you know, just throwing these big bombs or will he continue to be that more refined fighter we saw in the second Stipe fight? Well, he was that more refined fighter in the striking, but he also added a new dimension to his game. I know it's a thing I mentioned about both title fights last week and it's a thing we must always mention, but we never really know at this stage of the game in MMA who is making these big improvements in the middle of uh, camps or in the middle of their career and changing things and adding new things to their game. It's 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 actually like it's a, a thing we really really have to 
uh, have to acknowledge when we're going into these fights, especially if we're getting given betting tips like I do and like other people do as well. It's look, some fights you know, if the lads have been fighting for fucking 15 years, they're probably not going to change that much, or if they have only a couple of weeks or a couple of months preparation or whatever. But when you're new to the game, like both of these lads are really still new to the game, still improving, still adjusting their games, they could come in there with completely different ways of fighting, or they could show that they are maybe not as adept in f- certain areas of fighting as others should be, or as you would expect people fighting in these high-level title fights. And I think that's kind of what we saw. We saw a lad a little bit further along in his progression as an all-around mixed martial artist. Like, on the, if you look at it on the feet... I think Gagne just dominated that fight. Francis wasn't able to hit him almost at all. Um, but the big issue was, and there was an issue that we, we talked about coming into the fight as well, would Gagne be able to make him pay while still say, staying safe? And he wasn't. Like, he didn't... He hardly hurt Francis at all. I, I, there was a couple of body shots and a couple of nice shots. Um, I think he landed one kind of straight right at one stage that kind of not necessarily wobbled him, but, you know, Francis felt it. But it wasn't enough. You know, we talk all the time about, you know, the judging and ground upon with takedowns. If you if you don't land enough ground upon, I think the Tony Gravity fight was a great example there last night. He landed just enough ground upon to win all the rounds, which otherwise would have been close. I think it's the same when you're fighting like an outside wonder by type of game, you know, where you're loose on the feet, trying not to get hit first and then landing some shots afterwards. If you're not landing enough shots on the outside and with enough impact, you're not going to win those rounds. Like Joe Rogan said last night, he made a, a kind of good point uh, on unusually. But do you know those kind of slapping outside leg kicks that Ganyu was landing? He's like, are they scoring? What's the crack with him? And they're not really like you know, just touching. Yeah, just touching. they're not. There's no impact in them. Like ninety oh. percent uh, of them. Some of them were trying with a little bit more, and maybe they did something. But yeah, they're like they're just. They're just really nothing yeah. in terms of scoring, in my opinion. Absolutely, um, and me too. And it, it's that can be the difference, you know. That can be the difference. And look, it's a very close fight. I'll run, I'll run through the fight quickly, and then we'll we'll maybe t- talk more about it. So, from in the first round, you know, we had lots of jabs from from Cyril Gagne. The hardest shot I thought was kind of the body shot from Francis. It was a very close round, lots of clinching. I gave it to Francis, but I think all three judges gave it to to Cyril. Um, a few people were saying, oh, that, that the body shot, which I call it, was actually a low blow. It wasn't called a low blow, though. So if you're a judge, you know, and I've asked this question to judges before, if it's not called a low blow, you can call it a low blow in your head when you're judging the fight. So I, I don't know. Maybe that was the difference because there wasn't anything impactful landed in that round whatsoever. Look, who landed the more shots? It was Cyril barely. So, look, that round, given that to Cyril, there's absolutely no problem. I wouldn't argue against that at all. But I gave it to Francis best on that one shot. And the second round, Gagne was kind of dominating from the outside. Francis had a, a bit of a body shot and a left hook as well. But that was a definite uh, Gagne round. I thought he was the much better in that. And he was opening up a little bit and landing some shots. But in the third, that big takedown, which you mentioned, Graham, came, lifted him up, slammed him down. Um... When they got up, though, after a couple of minutes, both looked really tired. And the problem is, when you're someone who's trying to get Francis Ngannou tired by kind of chasing you around, and then you're more tired, that's a big issue. Because Gagne, after that, we talked about it last week, with um, or a couple of weeks ago, with Cater against Giga. Giga got taken down, he got up, and he couldn't move the same. I thought Gagne was exactly the same after this in the third round. Francis won that round, too, and that was a big issue. 
Um, in the fourth, Kenya was kind of touching him. Francis got another takedown. Nothing really landed knee to the body. That was a Francis round uh, as well. And in the fifth round, it was... This was a very, very interesting round to score, I think, um, because Ganya was winning early. There's no doubt about that, I don't think, but not by much. And then he got a takedown, but then it, it was it was embarrassing stuff, really, from a, a high-level heavyweight fight on the ground. Ganya got, like, a standing sweep. or, or uh, Yeah, Ganya got swept while standing kind of in the guard. <sighs> Something you, you'd barely ever see. In MMA, this is you know I'm sure our jujitsu friends out there. Yeah, like, oh god, it was it was like something you'd hit in like a jujitsu tournament when you're not getting punched in the face or anything like that. And I'm sure like maybe maybe there's some good technique or something in there from the jujitsu guys, but in MMA, it it was awful. Landed on bottom. We went for the heat hooked in, which you know we're talking about effective grappling. Is that effective grappling? I would say no, because there was absolutely no chance. If he had to use it like he should have to to get a, a top position instead yeah. of clinging onto it for way too long, then it would have been effective, but he kind of blew it uh, again there. Yeah, but yeah, even then, it's, I don't think it was, I don't think it was ever going to tap from But, like, but if, he got on, if he got on top and landed some shots, like that's a yeah, close round. That, that could have yeah. swung the judges. Like. Yeah, and then uh, uh, Francis landed on top, landed absolutely nothing though. I gave that round to Ganya, to be honest. Um, but it was, again, another close round. But, uh, uh, look, you it's hard not to score that fight for, for Francis. He definitely... Well, I, could, I could see it for Cyril as uh, well, yeah, you know. Yeah, you can, yeah. but... Yeah. Like, I just, Ganya won the second, Francis won the third, Francis won the fourth. And, and in one and five, like, we're, we're very, very close. I see... Uh, for some reason, I thought, and I think I might have said it earlier on, but we, I pulled up the uh, the car there, uh, and Ganya is actually two judges scored the first for Ganya and one scored it for Inganu, so it didn't come down to that first round as I thought it might have. Uh, but all all three judges scored the last three rounds for Francis, and, and that won it for him. Um, after you know the, the the first round was split and Ganya won the second round, so you know it, it really did come down to that fifth round, and that leg lock, and all of that. If if Ganya, let's say if Ganya had been on on top. Uh, had gotten on top as you mentioned there uh, and and landed a few shots Ron McCarthy would have had it 48-47 for Gagne Sal Diamato would have still had it for Francis but Derek Cleary would have had it in for Gagne as well so that little bit so of even without even with, even with what, how it happened exactly you know you could, could, you could it, easily yeah. make the argument for 48-47 for, for Cyril so you know it was it was a disappointing performance from him but it was it was a razor close uh, fight in the end I think the co-main event was a little bit like that as well and we, we will get to that but yeah it was I think it was a night where maybe because we're back to like the full crowds and different venues and it's not Las Vegas. I know there's there's been full crowds over the last while and people have travelled to different places, but I don't know. It, it just feels like people are readjusting to it and um, both of these lads have fought in the apex for their last at least one or one or two fights anyway. Um, and may, maybe there is a thing of that and, and the lads in, uh, in the comment event as well, but yeah, it, it, look, it was... The reason I was a little bit disappointed, I think, last night was we didn't get that those moments of like, oh, can Cyril take that shot? Oh, look at Cyril as kind of defending. Can he hang on? Yeah. yeah. Can, he, can he get his feet back under him? And yeah. yeah, it was just a different fight than you expected, I think. Then. Yeah. yeah. And like, we didn't have that big bomb from Francis Landing. But, you know, we... We, you can't always get what you want. And what we did get was very interesting. And, you know, it, it, sometimes in MMA, it, as myself and Harry argued over in Speaker's Corner not too long ago, um, MMA can be a little bit predictable at times in terms of like, okay, 
I was predictable last night if Francis had knocked him out or if Cyril maybe had won the uh, won the decision. Francis' winning decision wasn't very predictable. You know, loads of people. I, I said it myself. I was like, no way. Francis is not going to win this if it goes to the decision. And what happens? He does win it when it when it went to a decision. So uh, it, it's great when, when something like that happens. But you know I still it was, it was look it wasn't the best fight in the world but it was it was it was noteworthy and for, look you have to you have to be impressed as well by the adjustments Francis has made to his game and the improvements he has made because you talk about a guy like that and he's oh he's just a knockout artist oh he just has a kind of a puncher's chance he's, he's more than that there's no doubt about him we've We've talked about it with lots of heavyweights maybe down through the years. Derek Lewis maybe being uh, one of the, the biggest uh, examples of it where the the madness has paid off for them for so long, but it also what kind of stops them from getting to the top level. But those improvements take time and they take fights to actually implement. Whereas Francis, you know, the, the improvements and the, the more refined Francis against Stipe immediately got him a win. And the same here last night. Was it um, was it because of the knee he changed up? Was it because of the opponent only he changed up? Well, I said that with the the opponent the last time for Steeper. So no, I think it's uh, we, we have uh, we have a bit of footage now over two fights. So you know, it's just an improvement of a fighter, and it's great to see. You know, we've always you know with with Cyril as well though. You know, it is easy to forget that he's three and a half years into his pro yeah, career. What, Eleven you fights. Know, he, he's a long way to go. And mm. if we look at Francis when he was when he was kind of in Cyril's situation, he wasn't anywhere near as well rounded as he as he's shown recently. So, you know, there's definitely a blueprint there for Cyril to be beaten now, and people are going to try and you know wrestle him and. They're, they're, that's going to be their game plan going in. So he has to go out and, you know, work on that. And it's obvious looking back on the fight, what he has to work on for him. And he just has to prove that he could do it. And, you know, some guys can pick it up and, and they're just young in their career and they just need time. But other guys, you know, they just can't, they can't do it at a, at a high level. And that's the question now around, around Cyril. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting one to see how he looks in his next fight. You know, it's obviously his first loss of his career and, you know, in a big spot, but against a very dangerous guy and all that stuff. But, you know, as I said, the blueprint is there. We've seen with guys like Pettis and stuff like that over the years, even when they were champion and they lose their title. And then, you know, everybody knows, so oh, this is what I got to do to beat the guy. And, you know, Pettis couldn't really couldn't really develop that that game well enough to defend that off. And we'll see if, if Siwagan can. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it's like a complete uh, wrestling issue or like a takedowns issue. I actually thought it was... And maybe more of a grappling issue when he actually got to the ground and he looked a bit out of his depth. Like, I think if he goes in there against someone who's a very good wrestler, I think he'll still stop the takedowns just because of the way he fights more than anything else and his movement and his agility and his uh, his athleticism. But, you're, I, yeah, I think you are right. Like, people will just be looking for that one opportunity now to take him down rather than to land the big shot. And that is, uh, that is dangerous for him. But, as you know, 11 fights in, a lot of improvements to make. And it'll be uh, interesting to see where he goes. I still think he'll be a UFC champion, I believe, uh, in his ability a lot. And I, th- I still think he's a fantastic fighter. So, uh, right, see the Ghani off at your pearl, I think. Um, yeah, and you could argue, like, validly that he won, he this won the fight, fight yeah. and should be the champion. <laughs> so, like, we're, you know, he's not too far away. Yeah, 100%. Like, I gave it 48, uh, 49, 46 to France. I don't know. I gave it 48, 47 to Francis. 
and I gave the first round to Frenzies. So you you don't give that first round to Frenzies. Let's say I don't call it a body shot. I'd be arguing here that Ganyu won 48-47. But look, we know judging. It's not about agreement. It's about understanding. And uh, look, you can understand the Frenzies card. Um, Dana White didn't come into the octagon after the fight to put the belt on Francis Ngannou. Um, Mick Maynard did it. Dana White didn't turn up to the UFC press conference afterwards. Did a bit of an Earl Hebner at uh, the Montreal screw job back back in the nineties. I'd say the car went for him outside, and he was gone the second Francis Ngannou won that fight. Whether he was disappointed with the fight he has been in the past, or whether it's uh, you know not wanting Francis Ngannou in, in the UFC anymore. Uh, f- this was the last fight on Francis's contract. Um, but the uh, Champions Clause comes in now. You have to either have three fights or a year before you can get out of that Champions Clause, uh, whichever is the, uh, you know, let's say if he three fights in the next six whichever months, he'll be first. out of it. Yeah, whichever yeah. happens first. Um, so, look, it's, it's, it's weird because Joe Rogan asked him straight afterwards in the cage, oh, you want boxing matches next? Is that what's going on? Which is an odd question, which seems like a bit of a planted question, to be honest. Uh, and Joe Rogan, not in fairness to Joe Rogan, you can say a lot of things about Joe Rogan, but he doesn't normally like take questions like that that he's told to ask, to ask unless it's you know someone he's here ask him about this or this in in a small fight that doesn't really matter. But it seems like it seems like he knew that that was the question to ask. Like the question out there to ask was John Jones. Do you want to fight John Jones next, or you know pick out whoever might be next at, at heavyweight? But that that question never came. It felt like. It felt like the UFC weren't in the Francis Ngannou business anymore. It's weird. And always after the UFC main events, we always have that uh, maybe five-minute chat with the, the three commentators afterwards where they're talking about, you know, who is, who's going to be next. You know, let's say if it's the lightweight belt, they might pull up. <clears throat> you know, like like, oh, look at this or, prospect eight yeah, wins yeah, in a row yeah, yeah. seven knockouts uh, who could be in line next? And but, I was looking at the time as well. There was like 15 minutes time left. You know, but for uh, and even a bit more than that, I think, where they would usually be able to broadcast. So it wasn't like it went over and above. Now there were some long fights and everything like that, but there were some finishes too. They could have done it. They, they just chose not to. So it was, uh, and and you know, maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe they did go overtime. Maybe maybe uh, Zach Candido or someone, if he's listening, can uh, can correct us on that. But that's what it seemed. But even if it, even if they did, they made no effort to talk about what's next for Francis Ngannou. They they just left it at that maybe as as the fight, which you know it, is very very interesting, but also very sad if you're an MMA fan. Like I always find you know found it very sad when say a guy like uh, Habib retired, right, or a guy like TJ Grant who was just about to fight for the championship got injured and we didn't see it, or McGregor went boxing, other other guys like that. When you kind of miss out on people's pro- uh, primes and you don't see it and you don't see the very good fighters and it's not just the very good fighters as well it's, you know guys who do get injured or guys who have to retire and things it's always kind of sad it'd be so sad now if Francis Ngannou after all we've spoken about went and fucking boxed now I want Francis Ngannou to get as much money as he can why can't the UFC pay him that fucking money like let's get this contract going give Francis a contract he wants pay him a lot of money you know okay if he wants 20 million or something he's not going to get that Let's let's be real here as Dana White said the other day on, on uh, Dave Portnoy's podcast, he has 700 fighters to, to pay and boxing only have like one or two, which is a fair point. You know, you I'm, I'm you can be as anti-UFC and anti-Dana White as you want, but you can't argue with that at, at the same time. They're not going to be able to pay the same amount as 
you know, boxing promoters can because certain boxing promoters have maybe 40, 50 fighters under it, put on a few events a year and that's that, you know. Um, it's it's a little bit different for UFC. Now, do you, can UFC afford it? Absolutely. But uh, And we saw last night they're paying lots of their fighters, the ones that are coming in today in a white contender series, 10 and 10, rather than what we thought it was 12 and 12 with new fighters. So that's an, an extra thing as well. They're actually paying their fighters less now than they had been before. And I'll say it again, they can absolutely afford to pay fighters more. And we can talk about the bottom level fighters all we want, but the top level fighters, if you have a guy like Francis The ones that sell tickets, the ones that sell pay-per-views, yeah. You have to pay him. You, like, you have to give him a contract. We talk all the time, and the UFC talk all the time about they are number one. They are the best in the world. They are the apex of the sport. There's no one else. If that's true, you need to invest in the best fighters in the world. There's no doubt about it. Now, after last night, the Francis Ngannou is the best heavyweight in the world. You need to pay him the money that acknowledges that. If Francis Ngannou is saying, right, I'm going to sit out for a year, I have an injury, I have an injury. I'm going to go in, I'm going to fight somewhere else, and I'm going to get more money fighting Francis, or fighting Tyson Fury, or you know, going to WWE, or going you know, bare-knuckle boxing or whatever... That is a sad state of affairs if you are the UFC that you can't hold the best fighters in the world anymore. And do you know what? That actually changes the game because do you know who'd be happy to sit out for a year? You know, Conor McGregor would be or John Jones would be if he still had a title or other people would be as well if there was the promise of more money out there. Now, the promise of more money is not there. Let's be honest about it. How long is this bare knuckle boxing stuff going to last? Is Francis actually going to get a fight with Tyson Fury? I don't think so. So that's another big issue as well. But it's a sad, it's a sad, sad state of affairs if we can't uh, be assured that the best fighters in the world are going to get paid enough money to keep them with the best promotion in the world. And fair enough, the even look if they say right uh, you're not paying me enough I, I want to go to some, or some other MMA promotion fight somewhere else like Bellator or somewhere like that Bellator's not going to be able to pay him you know Bellator are not doing pay-per-view they, they've lost the zone deal they're not throwing out as much money as they used to and look I, I'm sure they'd love to have Francis Ngannou but I don't think they're going to be able to pay him 20 million either so it's it's one of those ones where I think the UFC they need to balk a little bit you know, they, they can't come in and say to Francis Singh, you know, look, you're getting 500 grand or 600 grand or whatever it might be for your next fight. That's that. Let's fight, let's sign a new long-term contract. As long as you're champion, you can get 5 million or whatever it might be. And I'm sure, like, I'm sure Francis would take that. I'm sure he would. Um, And you will keep a great fighter. You will keep the fans happy. And you will keep the sanctity of your organization that you call the best in the world. And I think that's important. Very, very important. What, what do you, how do you think it'll play out, Graham? We'll move on after. Well, like, you know, I'd, I'd love to to say that Francis has a kind of a leg to stand on. He does, like, morally and what he's worth and all that, he does. But, you know, it's such a, it's such a, a risk to leave the UFC in his position. As you said, maybe he can get a couple of fights at, at big money, maybe not. And then where's he going to go from there? Yeah. <sighs> It's a really tough situation and Dana and the UFC have been through this many times and they know they hold pretty much all the cards here. Uh, the fighters have to really go out on a limb and, yeah, you know, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough situation. It's like five, 500, 600,000 is what's kind of been reported that he's, he's getting paid at the moment, which is like, it sounds like a lot of money, but for somebody like at the very top of the game in the heavyweight division, selling pay-per-views, main eventing pay-per-views, like selling out, 
stadiums or not stadiums, arenas and stuff like that. So, you know, they're making a lot of money off them. But the way the UFC is, it, uh, the way the way the UFC operates, you know, they they just they're the hardest negotiators going. Like you know, they're not going to back down. They they'd be probably more willing to let Francis walk away and go, yeah, go do your thing, rather than you know set the the precedent of oh, if you just kind of hold out and kick up a fuss, we'll give you more money. I'm sure they have offered him more money uh, than five or six hundred thousand. Well, I'd hope anyway, but you know, if he's asking for twenty million, that's a bit you know. That's a bit fair of stuff of fairy tales, but you know, three, five million, something like that. Like, surely the UFC could, could yeah, stretch that out. Like, you know, I, what I mean? think a big issue as well is a lot of people are looking at Senator McGregor versus um, a Mayweather fight and thinking, oh, well, we can, you know, there were people talking about McGregor got, oh, what, 50 million or something for that. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily believe those numbers, but also that's Floyd Mayweather he was fighting, and I know the UFC took their points as well. But you remember the like that was the different situation. People were talking about that for months, even before yeah. it was announced. Like uh, people coming up to me in the street, people messaging me I hadn't heard from in ages. Everybody just talking about that. You know, you probably had the same. Like yeah, you know, it sold what two and a half, more than two and a half million pay per views. What what did it sell? Like four, it was like four, four million, million worldwide. Yeah, like, yeah, it's like it's a it's a whole different kettle of fish, and it's mm. a different sport and. It's just, it's just not a good example. I don't no, think. No, absolutely not. And uh, that's the problem because I'm sure lads are thinking, well, I can make that money. You can't. Like Tyson Fury is, Tyson Fury is a big draw. Absolutely, you might, you know, I so might try like a million. It was the first time a boxer had gone against an MMA guy. Yeah. Like, like you know, it was the first time. It's, it was just kind of special in that way. Now it's been done, and yeah. we've seen Jake Paul against yeah. a bunch of retired MMA fighters and stuff. So it's, it's kind of it's old, not new old, anymore. Old hat now. No, it's not new anymore. It's looking to draw well. I think they'd make good money out of it. But if you're talking about life changing money, I don't think so. May, like maybe he might earn five million out of it. You know, maybe he might earn ten million. But like the UFC can afford to pay him that too, and let let's do that. Like let's get him paid. Look, I'm sure uh, people might argue as well. Look, he's getting pay per view points and all. I I hope he is. I I think he probably is, and hopefully a lot of people bought the pay per view last night and he earns a good bit of money. But he should be earning more, and I think we all. Kind yeah, of well, the UFC will probably be looking closely at what this pay per view number is from last yeah. night. You know, that would probably be very important for the number that he ends up getting ultimately offered so I don't think it'd be great though it was in the, yeah, the NFL the I don't playoffs know. it's hard to know maybe you know 600,000 something like that I, I would say a little bit less because the, the, those playoff games I was listening to Dave Meltzer the other day oh, talking yeah, about I forgot Roma. about that actually yeah you know, you know you got divisional playoffs in the NFL yeah. like that's that's a huge thing to go up against but I think they ended before you know yeah so. maybe yeah maybe and it was really a top heavy card as well so yeah look it's a very interesting one we'll be definitely be keeping an eye uh, or an ear out for those numbers although the way Dana White reacted last night after the main event those numbers will probably be uh, uh, be a bit stum, uh, even especially if they're good. Even because usually when they are good, they come out. But maybe that's something that uh, Dana White won't want out there. But anyway, let's get to the other title fight: uh, Brandon Moreno versus Davidson Figueredo. I'll run, I'll run through it quickly, maybe before we we talk about it. Um, so the first round started at a very very slow pace. I thought Figueredo was kind of landing the better leg clean, uh, leg kicks. It was a clinch early. Very, very, very close round. I, I tweeted at the time, anyone's round. I just barely gave it to Figueredo based on the leg kicks. Second round as well started off with a bit of a leg kick battle. Good exchanges late. Um, 
a close round again. I know most people gave this to uh, to Moreno. I just I just lean Figueroa. Maybe I'll go back and watch it again. But let, let's say that's a Moreno round because I think most people gave it. To him. Maybe there was something I missed there. Uh, the third round, Figueroa was winning early. Both kind of got rocked at one stage. Figueroa was the last to get hurt in that in kind of those three big punches that landed, and he looked way worse than that. Um, but there was loads of calf kicks from Figueroa. Thought it was a Moreno round until the very end when Figueredo almost KO'd him and then almost submitted him. So that turned that around and gave it to Figueredo. I had Figueredo 3 0 up at that stage. Most people had him 2 1 up. The fourth round, Moreno, a lot safer early after getting hurt at the end of the third. Landed some nice jabs. What we thought he would land, what he, we thought he would throw more coming into this fight as he did in the second. We didn't see much of it, but that's what he did do. He reverted the type in the fourth, and I think that showed what he was really good at, and he took that round. So that's, a lot of people had a 2-2 entering the, the fifth. The fifth round, a close round again uh, until the massive um, knockdown for Figueredo in the middle of the round, which put him well ahead. And then there was exchanges late uh, and there was madness in the last 20 or 30 seconds. And some people turned it and gave that to Moreno because of that. I didn't. I, I think it was both of them kind of rock'em, sock'em robots, tired, off balance. I don't think either of them was massively hurt by it. If they were hurt, they were hurt in the same sort of fashion. And I think the knockdown in the middle of the round for Figueredo was the biggest shot there. And I think that won him the fight. That's, for me, 4-1. But 3-2, I think, uh, for for most people, if you give that second round to Moreno. Uh, how, how did you score, Graham, overall? Yeah, I had a 2-2 going into the last round and Figueredo winning the last round with that knockdown. But, you know, if you look back at that first round, if you kind of were with the commentators about how... Uh, that kind of off-balance shot landed from Moreno. Uh, that yeah. He kind of pointed at him shot. afterwards. Yeah. I don't think... I uh, like. I know the commentators and the point and all that stuff kind of uh, like makes it seem like it was a bigger shot than it was, but mm-hmm. I think he kind of just misstepped Figueredo yeah, yeah. after. Like, it definitely hit him and nice hit him shot, like, nicely, yeah. but I, I think that was, it was kind of overplayed. And I think, uh, like, if you put a lot of weight behind that punch, then you can give that round to Moreno and the fight to Moreno, but I didn't put as much weight behind that the impact of that punch as maybe the commentators and the, the crowd and seem to anyway. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. It was, it was definitely a good shot, but yeah, it, was, it wasn't one of those it was just a bit, he was he was kind of in the middle of a step or like yeah. he was just an awkward step or something more than he was buzzed, I think. It happened a couple of times actually in this fight where Figueroa kind of got hit at the end of a combination and it did buzz him a little bit more than I think Moreno was getting buzzed. But it was... Look, it was a very interesting fight overall in terms of the way they fought. We've had three fights from them now, and we've had three very, very different fights. Obviously, the first one, Figueredo came out looking very, very confident as always. Moreno stood up to it. You know, the, we had the uh, the point taken, obviously, and I, look, I think most people still had Figueredo winning that fight, but, you know, it was the draw. Then the second fight, Figueredo came out, and he looked completely devoid of confidence, Moreno just touched him up the weight cut as well weight cut be a big issue but I went back and watched the fight in the rewatch this week and I think it was more Moreno's game plan even than the weight cut on on retrospect Uh, but however he just looked a step step behind in the second fight and that was why I was kind of picking Moreno in this fight because I thought you know I hadn't seen him on the scale when I made my pick as well like so that's another thing when when he was on the scale I was like oh you know this this is really could go either way and it could have went either way but uh, I do think Figueredo just did enough to, to win the fight obviously yeah, as I said, that first round is kind of uh, 
the closest round in my opinion even though there was other pretty close rounds so yeah, yeah I think if, if you scored it from Reino no problem if you scored it for Figueredo uh, no I would agree with you. I would agree with that as well. I, I thought what happened in this fight really was Moreno didn't do what he did in the the second fight. I think he was trying to land more power shots. I think he wanted to finish the fight where Figueredo was fighting a more, you know, points based fight. He was, to me, someone I tweeted during the fight, I think he lost confidence in his ability to finish him. Um, and I think the more the fight kind of went on until he hurt him in the middle of that what round was it? I'm just looking at my notes here the middle of the third round I think he he had no confidence in his power whatsoever and he was trying to fight uh, a points winning fight a 25 minute fight and he did that and he won it over 25 minutes so there's can be no criticism of him uh, at all because he, he did exactly what he was what he was trying to do but it was a very different fight again from what I was expecting and it wasn't just Figueredo fought differently I think Boatman fought differently and you know there was Cormier and the, the rest of the lads in the commentary talking about oh he's a different stance and he's fighting completely differently I don't. I didn't see more, not at all, really. To be honest, he fought out of a similar stance. He just wasn't as attacking, and he wasn't leading as much, and he also wasn't giving uh, um, Moreno the opportunity to kind of be first. I thought it was like the step outside of range that was a bigger thing from it. But also, Moreno wasn't trying to be as first as he kind of, uh, you know, as, as often first as he was in that second fight. So that both of those things kind of played into it being a close fight with not as much output as you'd expect from a 125-pound uh, title fight. There was a lot of posturing, a lot of kind of game playing, a lot of who's going to take the advantage at, at this stage of, of the fight. And I look, I do think those calf kicks, even though they weren't half as impactful as Joe Rogan was making out in the commentary, they are there was a lot of them they add up yeah they absolutely add up in terms of not in terms of maybe you know the, the the scoring of the impact but in terms of the scoring of you know if you land fucking 20 jabs that adds up and that's going to win you certain rounds i think it was the same with this and um yeah i thought i thought figueredo overall just got the better of the the game planning tussle i think and i don't think moreno's game plan was was what you'd expect and i don't think it was great to be honest i think he could have won the fight uh, but he kind of left it behind him a little bit. What did you think? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, some of it probably was he was trying to, like, no-sell no the the leg, but, you know, taking that many shots to the leg and, you know, you could see it was kind of welts on it as well when certain camera angles and stuff like that. So that definitely plays a factor maybe in Figueredo being able to, to be first. But, you know, I think Figueredo came out and, as you said, Try to play the long game, and I think the leg kicks were were, were definitely an indication, or the the calf kicks and the low kicks were definitely an indication of that. And I think you know Moreno, he just kind of accepted the, the leg kicks, uh, which was sorry, slight technical difficulties there. You were just saying Graham about the uh, the calf kicks, and Moreno was kind of uh, accepting them. Yeah, it's it, it kind of like you know for Figueroa as well. It's easy to forget that you know if he had lost this fight, it would have put him, set him back a long way. They would, have, they would have fought three times and he wouldn't have won any of them. So it's understandable, understandable, uh, understandable from him uh, that he's going he's, he's gonna to be cautious here uh, a little bit. Like he wasn't over cautious, but he, he played a really smart game plan and 
you know, it worked in the end, but it worked barely. And I think, you know, Moreno is a bit of a, maybe a bad style matchup for him. We'll see now when he, when he, when he goes back to fighting other people, if he does, or, you know, maybe we'll see the Moreno fight again. I, <laughs> we talked about that on the, on the podcast last week about, you know, all, all these rematches, but for Figueredo, it's an absolutely huge win for his, you know, if he, he's a champion now, but if he hadn't won that, he's, he's many fights away from yeah. getting, getting another shot as long as Moreno's on top, which, you know, in MMA, you never know, but I think it was a uh, you know a lot of pressure on Figueredo here to prove that he is the best uh, in in the world and in his division, and to keep himself in the picture because you know we've seen it before where where guys maybe lose a close split, split decision and never get back there. Yeah, obviously uh, Dana White took tail and ran away as well, so we don't know whether they're the fourth fight is what they're going to do. But you would think they will do the fourth fight now. I think it makes the most sense. Um, you know, it, it's uh, there's been three intriguing, interesting fights. I actually thought last night was maybe the worst of the three in terms of like maybe madness and all of that. But I, I think your point there about Figueredo getting the title back and maybe that making him more confident again, or maybe fighting in you know if he fought other people fighting him in the old figure way. I think maybe if he fought. Moreno again he'd fight him in a more confident way so that makes me want to see that fight once more you know but it, it it's interesting like I, I was kind of talking about Figueredo as Amanda Nunes like coming into this fight like has he kind of lost the luster for it when you are someone who is a, an almighty striker and finisher like that if you've kind of lost that luster for the, the madness and for the finishing it's it, that's hard to get you know kind of get back now i think he adjusted and fought a different type of fight you know uh, i use mcgregor as an example like three times already in this podcast but it's the one people most understand i suppose the ds second fight you know coming back throwing those leg kicks fighting a five round game plan to win the fight that's what uh, figueredo did last night and he did it you know, very, very well. I think maybe a lot of people questioned it as it was going on, but it turned out to be very good. My one p- problem with it, though, is I think Moreno's game plan actually led to it being very good, if you want to put it that way. Um, one massive point as well, and it was the same with the, the main event. It was the same with the Chikadze fight from last a uh, couple of weeks ago, and there was another fight last week where I mentioned it as well. The takedown... When you get up, you're looking tired. There was at no point last night where Figueredo was held against a cage or held in a takedown, in a, in, uh, held from a takedown, where it drained him. You know, Moreno got a takedown at one stage or landed on the ground and Moreno landed on top and Figueredo was up within 15, 20 seconds. He refused to accept that position on the ground and he got up. Every time there was a clinch, he either rested when Moreno was pushing him up against the cage or he turned around and he ran it. That was massive, and that was a massive, massive point in this fight, because a fight that is even, that even you're winning after a couple of rounds, if you get that two minutes on the bottom, it drains your energy, your ability to fight a game plan like Figueredo does gets diminished for the next three rounds, and he never let that happen, and that was a massive, massive um, elixir for him for the rest of the fight, and I think that's a big reason why he won the fight, so, you know, brilliant absolutely brilliant for uh for figueredo no look i don't think it was the best from either guy i think in a fourth fight we'll we'll see the best from both guys and uh i'm looking forward to it and i hope it i hope it happens um so let's there's no need to talk i suppose about who, who's next from i think both of them should be should be next for each other let's run through this card uh here pretty quickly um the 
my Michael Pereira, Andre Filo fight. Very, very interesting fight as well. I enjoyed this a lot. Filo was winning the center early. You know, I described him uh, on the previous show as a Conor McGregor-like fighter. And I think he is. He fights the exact same way. He moves the exact same way as him. Obviously, fighting out of the orthodox. Uh, but he made it a boxing match early. And... That was not good for Pereira at all. Pereira was landing some nice long jabs, and but the nicer shots were coming from uh, from Filo and uh, Mikel Pereira into the round with a bloody nose. Um, Mikel Pereira needed to change it up, and he did. And he changed it in the second round. He became more wild. He was throwing a few flying kicks. He was throwing a few elbows. Not his old wild style, but he had to mix it's more it up. More of it than before, yeah. Yeah, he had to mix it up. You couldn't get into a boxing match against Fialo. He's a very, very good fighter. This is his first fight in the UFC, but I watched a couple of his fights outside of the UFC, and you can tell this guy is is no joke at all. Um, and you could tell as well that this was on short notice and he didn't maybe have the cardio which he normally would. The body shot from Pereira kind of turned that as well in his favor in the midway point of the third, in the second, sorry, and in, in the third. Uh, Pereira was just picking him off with counters. It was a brilliant display in the third from Pereira. He fought three different fights all in the one fight. He fought more of a boxing match in the first, more of a wild fight in the second, and in the third he fought as a counter fighter off the back foot. So... Uh, we're, we're talking about improvements in fighters. I think Mikel Pereira improved an awful lot in that fight and looked really, really good. Now people will say, okay, it's a new guy coming into the UFC and all of that, but uh, I, I thought it was a good performance. What did you think of this one? Yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was a good performance. Uh, one funny moment in, uh, I, I was thinking of your prediction of the Rolling Thunder KO, and he actually threw... Almost. <laughs> he threw one. It was close enough. It, it, was, was, yeah. it was close enough. Uh, he, he didn't draw from I, the I, I, I just was imagining you jumping up at the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every uh, that live stream as well. There were six of us on, and all five of the other lads picked Moreno, and I was the only one to pick Figueroa. So, you know, a bit of a genius, bit of a, bit of a genius. On my five picks over, can't pat yourself on the back. Uh, well, there, there you go. I got it. Can you hear it? Yeah, there you go. I'll pat. Um, I got three out of five of my picks over in the shortout betting show, and the other two were. Pereira by KO, Pereira did win, but he didn't win by KO, and then Figueroa by submission, which didn't win either, but I did give uh, Figueroa straight up as well, so. Yeah, I think I got everything wrong, I got I Pereira to win right, but that was it, I think. I, uh, <laughs> I, I missed out on Ganya, but yeah. Um, uh, one I got very much right was Saeed Nurmagomedov, first round. Uh, oh, oh, I got he, that as well, actually, sorry, is, I didn't get the first round, but yeah, yeah. He choked him, though, I, I went for the first round KO, actually, but it might as well have been a KO, he landed some big shots. This guy is very much the next level of like the Russian fighters coming through. I don't. He's not. He's no relation to Habib, is he? Actually, I think people said that. Uh, I'm not sure, um, but it doesn't matter. He is. This guy is legit. Having gone back and watched a few of his fights, Cody Stamen is a, a tough guy as well, and he's a tough out. And Nurmagomedov went in there, landed his shots so aggressively, so confidently, and so easily. Uh, that Stamen really didn't know what to do. He hurt him, and then he ended up choking him with the the ninja choke or the McKinsey team, maybe you might uh, might call it as well. But I am so impressed with Saeed Nurmagomedov in that 135 pound division. I think he's going to be a big, big problem for a lot of those guys. Uh, and uh, it'll be interesting to see where he goes. What were you impressed with him? You know, I, I thought he I thought he'd win this fight. I thought he'd dominate, but I definitely didn't think he'd go in there and just absolutely bulldoze through Cody and kind of every aspect. You know, he he just made he just made it look so easy. And you know, uh, as you said, people may think you know, or may hear the Nurmagomedov name and think, "Oh, this guy's going to wrestle," but he's he's a very dangerous striker. And he throws with 
he throws with real power and precision. He's a he's a real problem. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he's he's twenty nine now. He seems to be really coming into his own. You know, that's like that's a, that's a good win. Okay, it's not a really upper echelon guy, but it's the the. the the method of the victory and the the ease of the victory just shows that he is definitely ready for that step up now. Yeah, 100%. A very, very good uh, performance from him. And I mean, Michael Morales um, finishing the Trevin Giles in this one with a big shot against the cage after Trevin Giles got hurt. Um, Trevin Giles actually had him in an arm triangle. I thought there was a bit of a, a bit of a Brazilian tap in there or maybe even two Brazilian taps in there uh, when the, the positions were kind of changing, uh, which... You know, I don't know if the, the the tap made or the you know maybe not maybe it wasn't the tap maybe I'm reading too much into it but I I think it made Giles move a little bit um and he got out of it but may, maybe no I saw no one else saying it so maybe I'm wrong but I'd be interested to see people go back and watch the tape I rewound it played it in slow motion and I don't know it looked like you know those one taps it looked like one of them to me but I I don't know maybe I'm wrong but anyway Morales went on and he ended up uh, knocking out Giles in, in spectacular fashion and then with Victor Henry a very very good performance from him coming in uh, on his UFC debut after 26 fights uh, and he beat Honey Barsolas um really really good massive pace from Henry won the first fight in the uh, first round in the last 20 seconds uh, just landed loads of shots and hurt him. Second round was really close. Third was close, but more clear for Henry, I thought, until Barsonas' hard late shots. I had a 30-27 for Henry, so uh, a good a good fight there. Uh, Jack Della Maddalena looked brilliant as well. He looked so smooth. Look, Pete Rodriguez, he's only 4-1 in his it's career now. Fight, so, yeah. yeah. Now, he didn't look great in there. I, I, we won't lie to you, but uh, Jack Della Maddalena did look very, very good, and he yeah. was definitely one. You can only be what's in front of you, and he did it in very nice style. You know, <laughs> it's a, yeah, is a highlight reel. So you can only, you know, he can only fight the guy they they match him up against, and he did he did it well. And you know, for Pete Rodriguez, it's a it's a tough fight to go in there in your in your fifth fight. Absolutely. And, you know, I thought he looked yeah. that right early though. He was switching stances and didn't make it that easily for uh, De La Maddalena. Yeah, but, with uh, time, like you know, he could be could yeah. be a good fight, but with matchmaking like this, I don't know where, where yeah. he's gonna end up. He he got Reese McKee, the poor fucker. Yeah, it was uh, this was unfortunate. Uh, didn't Tony Gravely lots of takedowns here. Uh, Simon Oliveira. Do you know what Oliveira could have thrown in here? What might have worked for him? If he'd just gone for a guillotine, maybe I think he. <laughs> He went for about 15 At least make him think about it. Like, yeah. you know, uh, oh, I'm so to be bad. careful with my head a little bit. Yeah, like. uh, good full Franz Malambo here in early days. <laughs> early days in his career. Not Franz anymore. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, God, it was awful from Oliveira. Just, just terrible. Look, Gravely, he landed some shots in the feet, but Oliveira was doing well and he landed some hard shots. Gravely got knocked out a couple of fights ago and I think he was cognizant of that. And he was like, well, if you're going to give me takedowns, if you're going to just go for a guillotine every time I go near your legs, I'm just going to take that. And he did over and over and over. And Gravely, he's a good fighter and he's a, he's too good of a fighter to, to go for stupid guillotines like that against. Uh, and, he, and he won it. So very good from him. And that, as I mentioned earlier on as well, that extra bit of ground and pound made some of those close rounds going Gravely's favour um, and I thought that was very very impressive as well. Then the fight of the night, Matt Frivola versus Gennaro Valdez, the two of these boys came out here and they went swanging and banging from second one. Frivola knocked him down four times in the opening fucking four seconds it seemed like they were just swanging uh, he fell back in his knee a couple of times. Mike Beltran Mike Beltran was a bit late in a couple of calls tonight now he went full fucking Herb Dean uh, gave him plenty of time, almost got the rear naked choke but then got the ground and pound finish and I think you 
only ground and pounded him because he knew he wasn't going to knock him out because he had a mm. fucking stone chin. So, in, fa- in fairness to the ref, Valdez did keep moving. He, did, he, he never gave up. Like every time there was, it looked like it was about to be stopped. He managed to kind of just just hang on there, just give himself that second. So yeah, I, I thought the stoppage was all, all right. Like if he had stopped it a little earlier, I wouldn't have had a problem either. But I don't think it was. Uh, there was at one stage where he kind of got buckled up against the cage, and his legs and head and all went from under him. And I think Beltram was just kind of in a wrong position, and that's what kind of fucked him up. So yeah, not a, not great, but not. Oh, atrocious either like so uh, then we had Silviana Gomez Juarez against Vanessa Demopoulos um, here for uh, <laughs> Vanessa Demopoulos who seems like the most unlikable character in the UFC she was talking about fucking crypto and other shit before she went into the cage uh, didn't, she's just such a weirdo jumped into Joe Rogan's hands She's memorable, though. We will remember her. But, um, and, and look, forget about that. Big, massive, straight right hand almost knocked her spark out from Silviana uh, Gomez Juarez. And in about a minute later, or even less, uh, Demopoulos got the armbar and, uh, and finished it off. So, fantastic. Very, very good. I thought, I think everyone thought that fight was over with the, that big right hand. And she kind of fell asleep for a second, but she walked quickly back up. And uh, ended up in Joe Rogan's arms at the end of it, as every great uh, crypto uh, idiot wants to. Uh, and then in the opening fight of the night, <laughs> Jazzy J, Jasmine Jazdovicious, beat K. Hansen over three rounds. Good wrestling and too tall are my notes here. And that's basically it. Hansen couldn't hit her. She was too far away. Uh, and the wrestling of, of Jazdovicious uh, won her that fight. So, you know, good stuff from her there. And overall, a pretty good fight night, to be honest. And I, I enjoyed it. A lot. It was very fun. Very fun. Uh, right. Next week, there's no UFC, I believe. I'm looking at topology here. But there are a couple of big cards. Bellator 273. But also, uh, Eagle Fight Championships 44. And I'll have a preview of this coming out on uh, on uh, Shardog. So we won't go into it too much, I suppose. But uh, I, I've gone back and watched some of these fights. Tyron Spong is fighting Sergei Haritanov in the main event. Uh, which is an odd fight. Uh, I think that's going to be a kickboxing match. Oddly. Harithana will surely go for the takedown. But if he doesn't, I think Spong will win it. Rashad Evans in the co-main event is fighting, fighting Gabriel Checo, who is actually a good matchup for Rashad Evans because he looks fucking terrible uh, on the feet anyway. Uh, so maybe that's not bad. And then there's some very good fights underneath it. Ray Barge, is your boy, is fighting uh, Cody Gibson. So that's a pretty high-level fight. Uh, John Howard, who's been around for a long time, fought Carl Pindred. He's fighting Ramzam Kuramagomedov, who's 9-0. Looks a really good guy coming through. Then we have Raymond Magomedlev, uh, who is 8-1. He's fighting the veteran Anthony Anjokowani. So that's a, that's a pretty good matchup. Jorgen De Castro, who fought in the UFC, is on the card. Uh, like Rabzabov, who uh, was in the PFL tournament last year, he's on the card as well. Sean Bunch, who we knew are now coming through with Bellator a few years ago. He's also on the card. So And then with Miles Hunsucker as well, or Hun- Hunsinger, 7-0. Uh, it's a pretty good pretty good card to be honest it's a weird couple of top fights but there are some very good prospects some names some ex-UFC some ex-Bellator fighters so overall pretty good card have you looked into it Graham much yet and what, just me talking about it there it's, it's not bad is it yeah, yeah, there's some names on it, like, and you know, there's just some interesting uh, matchups there. You know, looking at the Rashad Evans, uh, Gabriel Checo fight, you know, there could be one of them, maybe, um, maybe I'm um, being unfair to Rashad, but there could be one of them kind of sad, 
moments where yeah. you, a guy who used to be at the top of the game in the UFC just looks terrible and I think this might come here for Rashad Evans he's kind of he hasn't looked great uh, before uh, in recent fights uh, since being you know UFC champion it's kind of gone downhill from and I fear that it may be one of those kind of make it stop fights <laughs> yeah it could be uh, like your man is very good on the ground a very good top game very good ground and pound uh, but on the feet he doesn't look great but Rashad we've seen his last few fights it's a good few years now since he fought but he just wasn't throwing shots on the feet in his last few fights and if he doesn't do that this time it's going to be um, it's going to be a big big issue so yeah we'll uh, we'll see with that one but like the main event I'm intrigued by it uh, Harry Tarnov is mostly a kickboxer, as we know, and he's fighting Spong, who's a kickboxer, hasn't fought in nine years in MMA. It f- made me feel fucking old. Because I remember, like, Tyrone Spong fighting as if it was only, like, a couple of years ago. It wasn't even, like, the start of my MMA watching, which is weird that it's a fucking nearly a decade ago. So, uh... Yeah, that's uh, it's interesting, but I'm I'm kind of more interested in the in the guys in the undercard. I actually don't know where you can watch it in Ireland yet. I was uh, looking you where you can watch it in America. They're on some website or something, so I don't know about here. But we'll uh, I'm sure we'll find out. Uh, then the uh, Bellator two seven three card. Look, as always with Bellator, they have some of their very good up and comers. They have Sullivan Cawley uh, against Ben Parrish in the uh, undercard. Uh, ben Lugo against Lucas Brennan. Uh, Nikita Mikhailov, who beat Brian Moore, obviously in his last fight. He's a very good prospect. He's fighting Blaine Shutt. The most electrifying man in all of MMA, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, is fighting Dalton Rosa, who will almost certainly win that fight. Uh, so that's uh, an interesting one. The former... Uh, <laughs> The former champ, uh, Darian Caldwell, fighting Enrique Barzola. Bellator veteran Syed Awad is fighting Chris Gonzalez. Sabah Hamasi, another Bellator veteran, Jaleel Willis. Aiden e against Henry Corrales. That one should be fun. Um, and then we have the top two fights. Uh, Benson Smooth, Henderson, former UFC champion of the world, fighting Islam Mamedov. I'm actually just about to go watching some of that Mamedov fights for my Bellator preview, so I'll let you know about that one. But the main event, Brian Bader against Valentin Moldovsky. Bader has looked completely shot to me in his last few fights. Uh, he did win one against uh, Machida in the middle of that, if I'm not mistaken. But Moldovsky, he's kind of also shot, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely shot as well. Moldovsky is one of those guys. He's like a heavyweight decision artist, uh, which we don't see that often. Uh, but I think he should get a finish here against Ryan Bader. I just don't think he, he is what he was. I think the, the Eagle Fight Championships card is better than this Bellator card, if I'm being honest. Um... But, you know, not bad. There's some good names and some good up-and-comers on the, on the Bellator card. Anything you're looking forward to on it? Um, yeah, well, like, uh, the Benson Henderson fight, obviously, it hasn't really gone maybe how Bellator hoped it would go with signing Benson Henderson. But, you know, um, Mamedov, if, if he can go in there and get an impressive win, you know, which I which I would be pretty sure, well, not pretty sure, but I'd be confident enough that he'll do. Like, Benson Henderson, uh, he, he's definitely on a on a on the downhill he's he's not what he used to be at all so maybe they can they're going they're going to kind of use Benson Henderson to try and build names now looking down the rest of the card obviously Caldwell is a is a really good fighter in a lot of ways but has kind of submission defense uh, deficiencies that kind of have stalled his his kind of run towards the top and Saeed Awad as well but yeah looking at the rest of the card there's a lot of guys I haven't really heard of um Guys like you know five fights in or two fights in one of the one of the fighters, the undercards on Bellator continue not to be the best. You know, um, at least this time I suppose they have a couple of names on the on the the top two fights for the prelims. But yeah, I think 
it's not a great card. You know, I think they should be trying to put on a better card on the weeks that the UFC aren't on. You know, UFC don't take that many breaks anymore. So I think Bellator, you know, they could have done a bit of a better job anticipating this and putting on a stronger, stronger card. Yeah, I think Bellator... They are a bit stretched thin with what they're they're doing at the moment. Um, but hopefully, with you know, with everything opening up now, we can make it a little bit better. You know, we can we can see a little few better cards from from Bellator, like those tin pole events that they were on about as well. You know, are we getting those as maybe regularly as we once did? But um, you know. Hopefully things improve. I'm looking forward to the the Irish card coming up. It's it's not too far away now. It's actually it's a month today, isn't it? And around that anyway. So I'm looking forward to that. And the card next week it should be uh it should be pretty fun as well. So uh yeah, that's that's all we have here. There isn't much news this week, Graham, or anything like that in the world of MMA. I didn't see much anyway. I haven't been paying attention. I've been you know watching the fights and uh, you know kind of um waiting for the uh waiting for the fights to come on and preparing for next week. So. Uh, we leave it at that. We we leave it as a fight podcast this week without uh <clears throat> without any more of the uh, the old bluster. So uh, you can follow me at Sean Sheehan BA over on Twitter. Follow Graham at Severe MMA. Uh, our new Instagram severemma.com dotcom Go over there to Instagram and follow it. There's loads of great stuff going up. The Old Triangle as well. The new podcast by the lads went up this week talking about all things Irish MMA. Obviously, we cover loads of Irish MMA on this podcast and on Patreon as well. But the lads are dedicated to the local uh, Irish MMA. They're going to be talking about the amateurs, the clan wars, the, all of that sort of stuff. Cage Legacy. Um, it's it's uh, something we've needed on Severe MMA for a long time. A completely dedicated Irish MMA podcast. So they're going to be bringing out that out uh, every three weeks. Um, so it'll be a roundup of all the Irish MMA stuff. So go over. Uh, there's new RSS feed and that. So please go over. Just look up the Old Triangle MMA. I'm sure you'll find it there. Uh, and uh, and subscribe and uh, tell the lads and all about that. So we will. Uh, yeah, we will leave it there as well. Patreon.com for Severe MMA podcast. Loads of stuff going up this week. Um, there's an episode of the Speaker's Corner going up the Chasing Pack is back on Tuesday as well and we'll have the Q&A I think the Q&A will be out maybe a little bit early so uh, if you're listening to this on Sunday or on uh, Monday morning get in your questions immediately at Severe MMA Pod and uh, I will answer them there and Graham can, uh, can I give our, our inspirational quarter lyric this week do you mind? yeah go for it yeah okay and some days I pray for silence, and some days I pray for soul, and some days I just pray to the gods of sex and drums and rock and roll. We'll see you all next Tuesday. Or Sunday, probably. Rest in peace, meatloaf. Legend.